Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, yes. The Arizona Diamondbacks beat the Brewers 5-2. They swept the best of three series. Zach Gallen, good. Six innings pitch, two earned runs. Gave up his two earned runs in the first inning. Didn't allow another run. Zach, how'd you do? Try to make pitches when I had to, um, and just you know keep us in it. You know keep keep the offense in it and give us a chance to win the game. Bullpen spectacular again. Three innings pitched, no earned runs. That means for the series they had nine and a third innings pitched and didn't allow an earned run. Corbin Carroll went two for four, batted 571 for the series. Manager Tori Lavello. You know, consider what we've walked walked through and. and the dark times that we had, this is a pretty special moment. There's a lot of emotion inside of this organization, inside of this clubhouse right now. Now, Dodgers next, but not until Saturday, so three off days. No game time is set as of yet. Also, Mike Hayes and Amiel Salde, Mike Fitzgerald, all new contracts to remain in their current roles in the Diamondbacks front office. Wasn't just the Diamondbacks. Every single series ended in a sweep. There are no baseball games today. Phillies and Rangers both won 7-1 over Miami and Tampa Bay. Toronto a loser 2-0 as the Minnesota Twins advance. Suns training camp just got underway this week, specifically on Tuesday. Frank Vogel already on point about establishing the culture of defense. Hopefully with the talent that we have here, um, putting that type of talent in, in the culture that we know can win a championship will deliver this city its first. Oh, now when you say deliver the city its first, you mean its first NBA championship. We got one, Frank, just because you came from Los Angeles. Thank you. So sorry about that. Uh, game time already set, noon, Sunday, Suns' first preseason game in Detroit. Arizona Cardinals are one and three on the season. And there's the age old question from Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells' famous line was, you are what your record says you are. Do you think that that's a fair way to describe this team? I do. Wow. I like the honesty, but here's what's interesting. The Bengals are one and three as well. And I'm sure both teams think they should be playing a little better. Kickoff coming up Sunday at one. Coming up later on Doug Brown's Unplugged, this is really interesting. Two days ago, Deion Sanders in his press conference said publicly for the first time that he tried to hire Kenny Dillingham for a job, but wouldn't say what job it is. Kenny Dillingham responded, yes, that's true, but he wouldn't say what job it is. I will be the one to find out what job it is because that's killing me. I gotta know the answer to that question. And finally, this is a little creepy, but imagine trying to use this as a way to get out of a ticket. A man in Minnesota driving erratically and speeding gets pulled over by a cop. The cop comes over and asks for license and registration. And as they begin talking, 
the person in the car recognizes the female cop and then says one of the dumbest things I've ever heard to get out of the ticket. You can't arrest me. I've seen your private parts. You see, the cop was also moonlighting on a pornographic website of which he subscribed to. The police department is going to be going into a full investigation. Jackpot Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, general manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. So it's the middle of the conversation, and you know as well as I do. Stay focused on the conversation. But I, I ask you this question. Would you have been able to stay focused on the question if you just won $1.1 billion? I don't think so. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I started early. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplug a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone every weekday morning and television. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU. Crowd rising in the Merc. How did I start early and be late? This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Been a while since I butchered it. For those of you that are old score members members of the Unplugged Army, before we moved to WTSMTV.com together, as I was generating or learning how I wanted to start the show, man, there were we should go back into the archive sometime. Actually, I don't want to give Jeff Weir uh, production any ideas, but there are some bad intros. As we're trying to figure out how to get this thing rolling. Bad intros. And uh, that doesn't rank up there as terrible, but it would certainly uh, it certainly wasn't good. Um, I decided to come into work today. I was thinking about retirement yesterday, uh, but I decided to come into work. Jeff Weir Production, you may not be aware of this, but yesterday was a $1.1 billion Powerball drawing. 
and I won. So I'm kind of excited today. So I am now a four heir, if you're wondering. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, last night, it's kind of weird. I, I have strange rules about the lottery because I know deep down inside, I know it's a scam. But at the same time, hey, come on, somebody's winning. So why not me? I, I do have the, that that internal battle going on between logic and emotion. So my rule is it's got to be an obnoxious amount of money. I know that that, that alone is dumb because am I going to say no to $20 million? Of course not. But I'm not going to play three times a week or however many times there's drawings. So once it gets up around $400 million or so, I start paying attention. Then, like, I spit on $200 million. But once it gets around $400 million, I start paying attention. Now, in, in case you care about the family finances, here's how the family finances work. A long time ago when Jennifer and I were first married, I felt like she spent money like it was water and we didn't have money. Like, we were dirt poor. Um, ate about one, maybe if we were splurging, two meals a day. Went out to dinner like once every six months. I mean, we, we, had, we had very, very little going for us at the time. And Jennifer, she was like so nice. She's buying birthday presents for all of these family members. And she's related to half her hometown. Like, no more of this. But I didn't want to be a total jerk because, you know, it's how am I really in charge of the money? I'm not in charge. We're married. It's a joint thing. So we came up with the allowance system. So every month you get an allowance and the, and the spouse can have no real judgmental comment on what you spend your allowance on. It's your money. You do whatever you want. But once you run out of allowance for the month, it doesn't matter whether you want to buy something for $5. That's a conversation. So now we both agree we can spend our money on that. We both agree we can go out to dinner that that pat beyond our allowance. We both agree this purchase is needed, whatever it is. But that allowance money, you do whatever you want with. So I asked her, hey, do you have time to pick up allowance? And will you, as soon as you do it, will you go get Powerball tickets? She says, okay, okay. So she, she goes, but I'm going out and getting a, a glass of wine with a friend today. Okay, well, I don't know if I can do this. Okay, fine, whatever. So the night's over for her. She comes home. I am busy working, um, watching baseball and taking notes and watching a ton of press conferences for today's show. And she says, here we are. We're billionaires and hands me the ticket. Oh, okay, great. And then she says, how was your day? No, don't say how was your day as I am going to the Powerball website ready to cash in my billions. And I said, oh, I was good. Uh, you know, I did this. Uh, Jeff Weir Production did this. Chris Weir did this. Uh, da Okay, how was your day, honey? I got this wonderful email. And it was, and then she starts telling me this long story. And now I realize I'm not going to be able to check the Powerball ticket. As she's talking. I don't know how it happened. The Powerball numbers come up. I look real quick, and I see the Powerball is one. Powerball number was one last night. And she was funny, because I always spend 10 bucks on it, and I only spend it when I have allowance. And it's only when I'm at a gas station that has... Like, uh, it's like I usually go to Costco for gas, so I don't, and they don't have lottery there. But if I just happen to be going, like it's so rare I play, I have to be going to a grocery gas station, and I have to have cash, and there has to be no line, and it has to be above four hundred million. So usually, so all those parameters are rarely hit. So I really don't play that much. 
Well, I usually spend 10 bucks. She hands me the ticket and it's got like seven lines on it, which is $14. I said, wait, I, I only said it's 10 bucks. She goes, oh, I chipped in. So we both spent $7 together on this. So I was like, okay, that's cool. So as she's talking, I look, the Powerball number is one. And on one of the seven lines, we've got the Powerball number correct. So I, like, I'm trying to look at her, trying to listen. And the whole time I'm thinking, I got the Powerball number right. I got the Powerball number right. And I'm just, I'm really going crazy. And then I should have done it. But I look at the Powerballs uh, on my iPad. I look at the numbers again. And the first number was nine. So then I look back at Jennifer. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great email. Oh, I'm really good. I, I, I really don't remember what she said at all. And then I look down at the ticket. On the same line as the number one, the first number is nine. I swear to you, I thought I won Powerball. <laughs> I just, I'm now going legitimately crazy. I'm only four white ball numbers away from $1.1 billion. And yet I'm in a conversation and she keeps going on. I don't, ah, and finally I, I, come on, tell me if you're a good enough husband. Finally, I cracked. I said, I'm sorry, uh, Jennifer, can we pick up the conversation in a second? I, I think we won Powerball. We might have won Powerball. And then, you know what she says? Out of it, like, you're not really thinking when you think you're a billionaire, I don't think. I mean, look at, look at you know, Michael Bidwell. Uh, so I'm, I'm immediately going in and she goes, how are we, how, how do you might have won? Like, what does might have won mean? I said, we might have won. We got two numbers right, and I haven't looked at the other ones yet. You were looking while I was talking? So can you imagine if I would have won? I'm now a billionaire getting crap from my wife for looking at a billionaire's ticket. We didn't have any other numbers right. So then she says, well, are we winners? No, honey, we only got... We only, we only got the, the numbers right. You mean the two numbers right that you looked at while we were talking, but we got all the numbers wrong once you interrupted. How, am I, how does that come out of her mouth? I don't have anything to do with that. So I then looked up the rules of Powerball. I'm a four heir. If you get the Powerball number right, or even if you get the Powerball right and one other number, you get $4. So I invested $14 into my family's future, and I got $4 back. So I decided to come to work today. (laughs) But I will warn you, if I ever win the billion, all generals in the unplugged army, I think the tax laws are, I can give you about $9,000 without having to pay taxes on it. So if you ever, if I ever say on this show, ever, hey, or if I ever send out a tweet, all generals of the Unplugged Army, I'll meet you at Bell's Saturday afternoon. And, 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 I, and, I, and it looks like a serious thing. I would go because that's when I'm handing out the checks. And then you'll never hear from me again and I'll disappear. And I'm, and I'm moving to, to Maui and uh, somewhere else. I'll have homes all over the place. Just, just so we're clear. Um, so there you go. There's my four air story. I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy now. Uh, sound credits today. What do we got? Well, we got everything. Uh, wherever we get the Diamondbacks, whoever I give credit to the Diamondbacks media for, that's who gets credit. Whether it's Diamondbacks PR, MLB PR, or just a blanket MLB.tv. But we got a lot of baseball sound today for you. Uh, Frank Vogel and uh, Yusef Nurkic, we got from the Suns PR department. We got some Kenny Dillingham from the Sun Devil Source.
we got the Colorado uh, Buffalo's PR department puts out their own YouTube uh, videos of their own pressers. So we got Deion Sanders from uh, the Buffalo's PR department and... We got uh, Nick Rollis, JG, Joshua Dobbs, and Drew Petzing, all from azcardinals.com. And I think I've pretty well covered it. I think that's all the sound credits for today. All right, let's roll. Doug's Big One. Doug's Big One is something I'm very passionate about, but I realize not a lot of you are, so I'll be very quick. And I'm totally uh, stealing this opinion from Bob Ryan, but he's right. The longtime Boston Globe writer sent out a tweet yesterday that asked, when is the charade of the Tampa Bay Rays going to end? And, and he's 100% correct. We all know they've had crazy challenges in drawing attendance. They're on the wrong side of town in a crappy stadium. But when one of the best organizations, in, and I'm not even going to say it, in baseball history, when you consider how low their payroll is and how they're always at the top of the AL East or in the running to be on top, For them to be drawing less than 20,000 fans for playoff games is just asinine and atrocious. The only thing dumber is by saying and coming to an agreement that you're going to build another stadium right next to the old one. I don't care how nice it is. Don't tell me that St. Pete is growing. That organization doesn't belong there anymore. And if we had a commissioner that actually had leadership skills... We wouldn't be in this mess with the Tampa Bay Rays. They would have been moved a long time ago with real leadership. This is another failure in the long list of failures of Rob Manford. It's time to end this. Time to move them out. Now, here's what baseball needs to do if it has any clues. First of all, find a spot for the Rays. All right, here are the cities. Portland, Montreal, Nashville, Raleigh-Durham. Okay? I don't care which one of those four. Put, or, or you know what? Orlando. Which one of those five? Now, here's what's amazing. There's an old commissioner from a long time ago. His name was Peter Uberoth. And when he was asked about potential expansion to Florida, you know what he said? He said baseball should never expand to Florida unless it's Orlando. Every other large city in Florida is too close to the beach. People are too used to doing other things, and they get ramped up for baseball and spring training, but that's it. Now they go to the rest of their lives. They're too busy. They won't actually totally accept baseball. Attendance wouldn't be worth it. We shouldn't go there unless it's Orlando. Orlando's far enough away from the beach. And it's such a tourist destination that you would get a lot of people that would love to spend a baseball weekend coming to Orlando in the summer anyway. And so many people that have moved to Orlando to fill all the tourism jobs would love to have their own team. That's it. So what did the ignorance of the next few commissioners do? They then decided, let's expand in Florida, but not go to Orlando. Listen, the Rays are a failure I shouldn't say the race. Tampa Bay is a failure as a baseball city. At least St. Petersburg is as a baseball city. Only an ignorant fool at commissioner would ever approve a new stadium being built in St. Petersburg. That franchise has got to get out. Once you move them out, then you expand two more times to two of the four remaining cities. So make it simple. Move the Rays to Orlando. Hardcore Rays fans can drive up I-4 and get to the game. 
And then you put a team in either Portland, Montreal. Montreal's got to get one. And then another one is either Portland, Nashville, or Raleigh-Durham, whichever government gives you the best deal. You're going to one of those three cities. Now, here's what's crazy if you're a Diamondbacks fan. What's best for the Diamondbacks would be to expand to two eastern cities, like Montreal, Nashville, or Montreal, and and then I would say uh, Raleigh-Durham. Here's why. When you move west and organize the divisions, you could create eight four-team divisions, and the Diamondbacks could be in a division with themselves, San Diego, and both L.A. teams. That would be perfect because there'd be one big money team. Pretty soon, San Diego will get their head screwed on straight and not be a big money team. And then you would have such an easy amount of travel with that, and you eliminate a big money team in San Francisco. And I would make it be A's and Rockies and the Las Vegas A's. uh, I should say Giants, A's, Rockies, and Seattle would be another Northwest division. So much simpler. See, baseball is so easy if you have real leadership. Right now, we don't. Now, let's get into Diamondbacks. The uh, Diamondbacks were winners, and I want full disclosure here. Jeff Weir Production has done an amazing job cutting up everything sound-wise, and I haven't even had a chance to get through all of it. So I want to listen to it. Some of it I've listened to, some of it I haven't, and I want to listen to it with you because I'm pretty jacked up about the Diamondbacks being a winner yesterday and now advancing into the series against the Dodgers. Full disclosure, I got to come clean because I think it's really important from a frame of reference standpoint because you're you're not going to have time to listen to every episode of Doug Franz Unplugged. I really would like you to, but I understand you you don't have that kind of time. So therefore, when I'm right, I'm going to tell you I'm right. And that way, it adds to my credibility. I want to prove to you I know what I'm talking about. But the only way to be fair is to look at the camera and admit when I'm wrong. Or it doesn't do me any good just to always say, well, this is where I was right, this is where I was right. I was wrong a lot on the Arizona Diamondbacks. I told you at the beginning of the year, once they started rolling into June and July, they are doing so well that... You're not going to be able to, you're probably not going to be able to catch them at the end of the season. So, this is a playoff team. We should start supporting it. And then, when they went into that swoon in July and August, it wasn't just the losing. They were playing such atrocious baseball and having no sign of breaking out of it that I backed down from what I had said just a month ago. I no longer believe they were a playoff team. And where I was really wrong about this team is I said at the trade deadline, Mike Hazen shouldn't do anything because this team is now putting forth a trash effort and Tory Lovello is not showing he can stop this runaway freight train of bad baseball. And I, I let's face it, I, I don't mind admitting this. History kind of says I'm right. History would show you when teams play that bad, get on losing streaks that bad, and have a run differential of a negative run differential, it shows they're not really that good. And the analytics say the Diamondbacks should have backed down. Well, the analytics were wrong. Congratulations, Diamondbacks. I'm glad you didn't listen to me. They improved their bullpen. And some things were the benefit that they didn't, they didn't know was going to happen. Kevin Ginkle since the trade deadline has been unbelievable. And he had moments this year where he wasn't even worthy of being a major league pitcher. He was fantastic. 
After some bad blowups early, Paul Seawald proved it was a good trade to trade Josh Rojas and bring in an established closer, which helped all the other pitchers in the bullpen find their role. Because when you've got a bullpen by committee, I should say closer by committee. Nobody's set in their role, so then everybody's grasping at straws. The human brain wants to know, I own the eighth inning. I get up for the eighth inning. I know what I need to do. And that's what they got when they got Paul Seawald is just simply discipline, structure, and human understanding of whose role is what coming in later in the game. I also didn't think this was a team that could make the playoffs anymore because of how poorly the rookies were doing as starting pitchers. It was Kelly, it was Zach Allen, and then nothing. And I didn't like that. And I didn't think they could put together a streak. What I did not envision was a complete and utter meltdown by the Chicago Cubs. And I did not think the Cincinnati Reds would totally melt down over the last month of the season. I I didn't buy in fully to the Reds, but I didn't think they were going to melt down that bad and just fall apart at the end of the season. And I expected a lot more from the San Francisco Giants. So I thought they were going to stay up. So when I look at those teams as doing better and the Phillies I knew were going to be good, I thought there's no way the Diamondbacks could keep ahead. So I want to look right at the camera, make sure you know I was dead wrong on that. But as a fan... I am so happy to be wrong and to be in this position. And now to take these two games from Milwaukee, I've always said this, bad teams find ways to lose. Maybe you're hitting well when your bullpen blows up. Okay, maybe you play great defense, but it doesn't matter because Brandon Fott's giving up line drive home runs in the first, second, and third inning. So there's so many things that you, bad base running, throw it to the wrong base. You do all these things wrong. And you find a way to lose a game because you have a new mistake tomorrow. These two games against the Brewers, they won games differently than they've won all year. It was average or bad starting pitching, no running game, and it was home runs and defense. It was home runs, defense, and bullpen. That's how they won these two games. Home runs, defense, and bullpen. They had a better bullpen than the Brewers. And most of this season, it's been Brewers versus Dodgers as who has the best bullpen. And all of a sudden, the Diamondbacks out-bullpened, if I can make it a verb, the Brewers. Nine and a third of an inning, no earned runs. That was the bullpen. In a sense, the bullpen in this series pitched a complete game shutout. <laughs> that, in a two-game series, you get over nine innings of work from your bullpen and they don't give up a run? Plus two of the relievers loaded the bases before they left the game in both games at one point in the game one pitcher loaded the bases got yanked and the still rest of the bullpen made sure no runs were scored on the bullpen that's how fantastic the Arizona Diamondbacks played and dare I say found ways to win the game we'll get into my prediction coming up later on in the week against the Dodgers okay I told you the Diamondbacks would win game two I just thought the Brewers would win game one and three. So, can I claim I was right? Because I didn't get game two right. I don't think I can. But this series, you're going to be shocked. I don't think the Dodgers are what they used to be. All right, let's get into the sound. Uh, There's two cuts from Alec Thomas, uh, um, Jeff Weir Production. 
I only need one of them. Could you give me Alec one? And I, it's it's quick, it's short, but I just like this quote because it's basically saying, yeah, we're young, so what? But he doesn't say it as arrogantly as I just did. Definitely got some younger guys in, in the group, but uh, I don't think that really matters. Um, you know, I think the guys that we have are, are built for the moment and, uh, you know, it showed the past few days. I want to tell you, we're going to be doing a ton of Diamondbacks again today and then hardly any Diamondbacks tomorrow. Tomorrow is a full-on tailgate show, heavy emphasis on ASU, U of A, Cardinals, football in general. We got some football today, too. Today's hardcore uh, Diamondbacks, and I, I did like that. I just, hey, we got some young guys, but hey, we're not, the stage isn't too big for us. Now let's get into all of the Tory, if you would, uh, Jeff Weir production. The first one from Tory is simply the journey and kind of relating. Do you remember 2017 year one? Tori Lovello's the manager of the year. He has the courage to uh, take out Zach Greinke in the playoff game, bring in Robbie Ray. We get the, uh, the Archie Bradley triple. J.D. Martinez is traded for, and he's hitting home runs left and right every game. That was year one of this regime. But we also have the embarrassing collapse of 2019. Then one of the dumbest decisions Mike Hazen has made as general manager is kind of a two-in-one decision. After watching the team collapse in 2019, he, ba- he didn't say this, but basically by his actions, he said, I don't believe you really collapsed. I don't believe that's who you are, so we're going to bring you guys back to play in 2020. Well, then in 2020, they proved to be the most mentally weak team in baseball because as they started like 3-12 and 12 or whatever it was, they couldn't recover from their bad start. They basically just blew up in their own face. So then coming out of 2020, again, the Diamondbacks tried to act like, well, that's the COVID year. It was a short season. We just, we just got off to a bad start. This doesn't count. We're going to bring everybody back again in 2021. And then at some point around the All-Star break, they realized that was dumb, got rid of a bunch of veterans, had a great finish to 2021. But when I say great finish, they still lost, but you could see the young kids developing. And they lose 110 games. Now, two years later, they're on to the NLDS. All right. Good journey. Tori, how you feeling? That's an unbelievable question, right? You... You lump up the last six years um, <clears throat> and, you know, consider what we've walking, walked through and, and the, the dark times that we had. This is a pretty special moment. There's a lot of emotion inside of this organization, inside of this clubhouse right now. Um, 2017 was a magical year. Uh, we had some great players and, you know, it was just a, a different time. And the players that have cycled through our system, that have learned our our values um, and uh, you know, morals are here on this stage performing. It makes it a little bit more special. I've, I've known these kids for five or six years as they've been developing into the system. And it is, it is a true connection. Um, that's what I'm thinking about right now. When I get asked the question, what's the difference between last time, this time with the six years, it's the dark times coming out the other end and then celebrating with kids that I've watched basically grow up right before my very eyes. It really is an entire credit to the organization, and it's one of the toughest things for fans. I can't imagine 
your pain in watching the poor decision of Mike Hazen to bring the 2019 group back for 20, bring the 20 group back for 21. I, I, after ripping myself for being wrong, I can happily say how right I was to try to quell any anger. And that was back when I was still on air of, of fire Mike Hazen. Because I can, those were bad decisions that he made. But I didn't think they were fireable for this reason. I, I don't have a problem with Dave Stewart, the person, at all. But that organization's minor league system, I don't even think it was top 30 in the league. Okay. By the way, there are 30 teams in the league. I mean, I, I think there were college teams with better farm systems, all right, than the Diamondbacks had. It was terrible. So it was such a complete rebuild that was needed, and I could see the talent. And I, I don't want to say I have sources because that just sounds so weird, but I have friends that are scouts paid by other organizations, and I can talk to them, and they know I'm a Diamondbacks fan. And they're telling me how well the drafts are going, how well their young players are doing. I'm the one I'm, – I'm a member of the media that – I'm the only guy there at some instructional league games, sitting there talking to scouts, okay? I love it. I sit there in a backfield at one of the spring training sites. It's a little warm. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're watching a weird game in which if a pitcher gets around 35 pitches, they just go, all right, rabbit, and then boom, all of a sudden the inning's over. Like, wait, you're a batter. I got guys on second and third. I want to hit. No, we're done. And they just shut it down. Shut it down. It's just hilarious. And, and you got to get used to that. But I'm there and I'm seeing these kids and I'm thinking, I like him. I like him. I, I don't really like him. I like him. I, you know, stuff like that. And you see what they're doing at the minor league level, but that takes four years. The damage was so bad, it takes four years to fix. That's why if you see failure by Kenny Dillingham, if ASU football looks bad at certain things, Rip them. I get it. Okay? You shouldn't have that problem. You should be able, unlike Notre Dame, you should be able to count to 11. You should be able to get the playoff on time. All of these things need to happen. But don't go to the point where you say, like, I've gotten a tweet, Doug, Kenny Dillingham's just not the guy. Are you crazy? In three games with an, now four, in an entirely decimated program, decimated. By what Ray Anderson and, and um, Herm Edwards conspired to destroy this program. Okay? It's terrible under those two. And Kenny Dillingham is trying to build this thing back up. And in, in a month of football, you want to say, well, he's not that good. Do you realize there's nothing there? <laughs> Everything that's there, he recruited in a couple months. You can't bail on a guy that early because he's working with nothing. He's working with nothing. And I look at the same way with how bad the farm system was. It just doesn't feel that way when you're looking at the parent club screwing up all the time. It's hard to see the work that's going on in the basement to rebuild it. And that's why I said, calm down on my case, and I believe in what's going on here. And now you get to this point where it's the kids are why they're there. That's kind of exciting. I'm not saying that they're going to win it all next year, but it's the kids that have gotten them to the NLDS. Um, let's go to uh, Tory number two, in which uh, this was interesting. Just admitting that we're young, and I wasn't totally sure how they would handle the postseason. 
first of all, you're not sure how they're going to respond on the stage. It's a very, very big stage. Um, but <clears throat> we've been talking, we've been talking about training yourself and getting into a mental state from spring training on about being able to execute the most critical time and have success and, and not a success doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to throw a strike and get that strike out or get a base hit. It means I'm going to be in control. I'm going to control what I can take some deep breaths and execute at the highest level. Um, and for me, that's all about preparation. So, um, as I watched the past couple of days unfold, uh, you know, falling behind yesterday, pushing back against a really true number one starter and Corbin Burns, I felt like, we were capable of doing anything at any time that, 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 that had shown me a lot. Um, I will say for the first four innings of today's game, we were absolutely shut down by Peralta. Our starting catcher goes out and you talk about adaptability and resiliency that was in the forefront of, of today's day more than anything. Our guys were tough and it was a young group that stepped up and how they do it and, and, and how they learned it. I'm not sure. But I think they're they're ready for this through all the, from all the things that we've been talking about and training them with over the past four or five years of of developing them. I think this matters. I don't know if you agree with me. This is a tough thing. Okay, you're a fan. You're watching Diamondbacks baseball. It's a trash product, and you're mad about it. And then you're mad that veterans are up. And I'm one of those people too. I was fired up at how long they've kept some veterans on this team this year. But in previous years, you kind of understand it, and here's why. Do you want to pull up a kid, even if he's showing he's ready, but pulling him out of a championship environment? The Diamondbacks minor league system was growing players that were competing in postseasons. You can say all you want. Who cares about a double-A championship? Okay, I get it. But what you are doing is you're creating champions. Every player is now getting more opportunities in a pressure situation. And whether they succeed or they fail, they either build the confidence of success in a pressure situation or the understanding of that pressure when they fail. Now, it's a different pressure, okay? You're dealing with 5,000, 6,000 fans at the game versus 40,000 fans. Different pressure. You're dealing with an internet stream and 700 people across the entire world watching versus an audience of millions on national television. Different pressure. But to you, in that moment, if you fail, you let your teammates down and you know everybody's watching you for the future of your job and you're scared of the tag choker and you're competing against yourself. So do you really want to pull a guy out of that to say, look, fans, we've got this wonderful young player in double A. Let's bring him up to the Diamondbacks to try to get you to buy season tickets next year. Or do you let them stay in that pressure situation, knowing you're alienating your fan base? Diamondbacks cared about their relationships with their minor league teams, kept a lot of guys when they were going on championship runs. They learned pressure, and now look at the way that they handled this stage. That's, that's really important. Um, okay, Zach Gallen. Uh, uh, say on Tory though, by the way, uh, Jeff. But Zach Gallen, uh, really bad in the first inning. No other way around it. Bam, you give up two runs, you're down 2 nothing. I think the Brewers had eight players come to the plate. Oh, I was wrong, sorry, seven players came to the plate. 
not good. Not good at all. The way that uh, uh, that he started off by getting the bases loaded with only one out, and yet second inning, one, two, three. Third inning, gave up two singles but got a double play, so he still only pitched to one batter over the uh, minimum. Fourth inning, gave up a walk, still got a double play, faced three batters, so no one over the minimum. One, two, three in the fifth. One, two, three in the sixth after a leadoff walk. So bad first, look at him settle down. So as soon as the Diamondbacks come up in the top of the second, they're already down two to nothing. Their ace is already getting beat up. It looks bad. Well, how'd you feel, Tori? My confidence level is always high with Zach. Uh, you know, I know through the, through the five years that I've known there, known him, there have been a couple of clunkers, and they were very identifiable. But I can count them on one hand. I felt very strongly that knowing Zach the way that I did, that he was gonna he was gonna rise to the occasion and start to make some pitches and start to sequence pitches and get into a rhythm, which he did. I will tell you this. I will share it. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to talk to him. He walked by me after the. Um, after the first inning, in an almost like a don't you dare comment, said, I'm giving you seven today if you give me over 100 pitches. And I said, go ahead and show me. Get it done. He came close, but I think he really he really st- stepped up and started to make pitches and, and gave us a chance to catch our breath. You know, it's too early. And then it was five shutdown innings in true Zach form. And I, my confidence level is very high because he's only given me his best, and I knew that's what was, was going to happen today. It's a good story. And when you stick your neck out like that, it's easy to say it if you, if you don't have the track record. But what it means is Zach Allen is so analytical. He had to, and I don't know what it was, but he had to be walking off that mound in the first inning with the feeling, I know exactly what I've done wrong. I know exactly what I've done wrong. I, it's going to be self-corrected. And I know I'm going to do well the rest of the game. And... That's strong because what it does is as a starting pitcher, then you have even a higher level of communication with your manager because, let's face it, if you have a bad first or second inning and you don't come back and say that, now the manager knows, okay, something's not right. And he can play in that way versus every time you come off, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm giving you seven. Okay, you just threw 40 pitches and gave up three runs. And then you returned by giving up another two runs the next inning. I'm great. I'm ready. Okay, you, you can't trust a guy that does that. You can trust Zach Allen when he says it. So that gets me uh, fired up. This is, this is important because the next one is Kevin Ginkle lights out on Tuesday. Two innings pitched. I think he faced one batter over the minimum. I might be wrong, and he went just six uh, six up, six down. But the last inning that he was in on Tuesday struck out the side. He comes in this one, and remember how I said earlier, two different relievers, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, loaded the bases and left the game? It was Ginkle's turn. All he did was walk in, load the bases, and leave. It was bad. He was not good. And Tori Lavella was like, you know what? I knew this could happen. I asked a lot of Kevin Ginkle yesterday. He went two innings, um, 30-plus pitches, and I knew that there was a chance that his stuff would, would back up a little bit today. And, I, and, and talking to the pitching coaches, watching him do his work, I could tell that he was a little gassed out. I felt like we had an, an understudy in Andrew Salfrank, who has joined us over the past two months of this season, who's been throwing the ball really well, ready to take an, uh, ready to take take the reins and, and kind of establish himself in a young moment. What are you going to give me? Are you ready for this? And he had given me every 
in every outing prior to this, he had given me every reason to believe that he was ready for this opportunity. And in my opinion, it's just my opinion. I am a very young manager when it comes to playoff experience. Um, I think I might've said it pregame one, that stopping momentum and stopping these big runs is the most important thing in playoff baseball. So you have to do some uncharacteristic things. That's just what that's what I felt was was the need. I trusted Andrew South Frank and I just wanted to change the mojo and change the momentum and it worked out well. It was one of the gutsiest moves, really that he's done. And, 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 and in no way am I saying it was gutsy to take out Ginkle. I mean, you got to. You got to take out Ginkle. He just loaded the bases, hard hit contact. It wasn't like you could say, hey, you know, it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't that hard. And no, no, it was, it was bad. South Frank was drafted in 2019. So you're dealing with a guy that's just four years as a professional athlete, rookie season, and you're saying, okay, go in there and save us in game two. And South Frank does it. That's strong. And it needed to be done. And I, I think that that just you know, drives Ginkle forward. Okay, the next, Tory, this is, this is important. Perdomo, great defense uh, all series. But Perdomo, not good at bats yesterday. Uh, had a fly out and a strikeout. He went 0 for 2, but then in the sixth. Okay, inning number five, you get a vitally important solo homer from Alec Thomas, and it's similar to the home run from Corbin Carroll because it signifies to everybody in that clubhouse, everybody in that dugout, hey, I know this starting pitcher is great, just like yesterday. I mean, has great stuff. I know he's shutting us down. But if I, as a young guy, can handle this moment and do this, so can you. We're not out of this. Let's go. And boom, it's two to one. I know this sounds hilarious, but the gap between two to one is enormous compared to the gap of two to nothing. You just, I should say that in reverse, is not even remotely as big as two to nothing. Any of you that are golfers, okay, since I'm a stinky golfer, this is my world. It is such a big difference between a bogey and a double bogey. It is not one stroke. It is so much more than one stroke. There's something about, hey, when you're a bad golfer, if I break 90, I'm thrilled. Well, if I bogey every hole, that's a 90, okay? So I'm looking at it where, oh, you know, I got a bogey. So what? I'm a bogey golfer. That still gets me a, that still gets me a 90. But a double bogey gets me closer to 100. Oh, no. You know, it's like that. It's the same thing when it's two to nothing. It's not just a two-run deficit. It's We haven't even scored yet. We can't score on this guy. When it's two to one, and, and let's face it, one of your weakest hitters goes yard. It's like, hey, we're only down by one. Alec can do it. Let's go now. Here we go. You know, it, it changes the entire complexity of the attitude of the dugout. So now you get into the fifth inning, and it's a leadoff walk from Perdomo. And it's kind of, I think I said fifth, and it should have been the sixth. Lead-off walk from Perdomo, and you have that good of an at-bat, ball being fouled off, going to the top of your lineup with your rookie of the year, and then your $90 million man in Cattell Marte, who simply struck out. Th- that sets the stage. It makes you feel like, here we go. And uh, Perdomo has been batting in the number nine hole for most of the season, other than a stretch when he got moved to leadoff. Here's Tori Lovello on Perdomo. 
Geraldo Perdomo has been doing it all year long for us. He continues to grow and learn. You know, we've got, we've got, you know, you go around the diamond, there's 22 years old, 22 year olds, 23 year olds, and they play just well above their age. And, you know, I, I was talking to Perdomo about that and I said, Hey, we need John right here. You get on something, something could happen, but he's there for a reason because if we turn over the lineup and he's on base um, and we know that he sees pitches and he draws a lot of walks, we feel like we're going to score some runs. And I feel like he knew that he knew what that at bat was asking for. And you're right. It went to from Oh two to four, two. And he's done that a lot for us. And I think that was a difference in the game, obviously. It was, he's right. I mean that, I mean, you hate to say that walk, but you needed to get that inning started. You get the double by Corbin Carroll. So you got runners on second and third. Um, you end up getting uh, the RBI single from Cattell. I was wrong when I said Cattell struck out. He struck out the next inning. RBI single from Cattell. Another base hit from Tommy Pham. Christian had a fielder's choice, but he ended up scoring on the RBI single from Gurriel. I mean, there's a lot of good things, but you needed that leadoff walk. The most important thing said by Tori Lovello is this next one. If you didn't get a chance to see the game yesterday, backswing clips Gabby Moreno in the head. He says he's fine, finishes the half inning, and then in the next half inning, Herrera comes in. The backup catcher is now in. If you haven't seen it, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, Gabby Moreno in the lineup versus Gabby Moreno not in the lineup is staggering. The Diamondbacks are seriously a team about 20 games above 500 with him in the lineup and about eight games below 500 without him. I'm making up the numbers a little bit, but it is it is as about as stark as that. He means that much to winning, settling down pitchers, framing the pitches, timely hits, whether it be the occasional long ball or mostly going the other way. And even when he makes an out, it's usually a productive out or at least if it's unproductive, it was a long at bat. So many positives to Gabby Moreno. They they don't have a chance of beating the Dodgers with without him. Don't have a chance. Well, after getting clipped, he was taken out because of the fear of a concussion. Well, Tori, where are we at? He um, is doing okay. Uh, he, he's not in the concussion protocol. I think they're they're running some tests on him right now. But obviously, it was a backswing, and it's just part of the game. And by no means was Terang trying to do it. There was no malicious act. It just happened. Um, but Gabby just you know for a second or, second or two there, he felt like he was a little dizzy. And then when we were visiting with him on on the mound or on the at the home plate, he started to feel a little bit less dizzy. And, and he said, "I want to stay in this game. Please don't take me out." of this game is basically what I remember. And I remember telling him, look, at any point in time, if we don't like anything that we see, I am going to remove you from this game. So he completed the inning, and then he was examined by our team doctors, and they felt like it was just too risky to run him back out there. A lot of good things there. Number one, you have shown every every player in the players' union that you are willing to sit a guy down and possibly lose a playoff game for his health. That's a strong sign to a lot of other players. Number two, he's okay. I got a text from uh, somebody in the organization. It would be totally unfair to out them. And it made me feel important that they cared about my opinion. And they asked me point blank, do you think we have a chance against the Dodgers? 
And it's, and it's not somebody in the organization that truly affects winning and losing. I want to be clear there. I, I don't want somebody that is like in charge of whether or not they win or lose saying, hey, what do you think? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. Go win. You know what I mean? But when it's somebody that's not in charge of winning and losing, I appreciated the text. And I said, obviously, I need three questions answered. How does Zach Allen pitch? How does Merrill Kelly pitch? And Gabby. How's Gabby? And you know what? I'll, I'll cheat, and I'll just give you the text. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what he said back. Um, here it is. Kelly Saturday, Gallon Monday, Kelly Thursday, Gallon Saturday. Meaning the thought process is because of how weird this system is set up. If you don't know this, the Diamondbacks play on Saturday. All four games are Saturday. However, only the American League plays on Sunday. Diamondbacks then play in L.A. on Monday, still have a travel game on Tuesday, don't come to Chase Field until Wednesday, Thursday of next week. That's how long it's going to be because they stagger it out for television and they don't want to take on the NFL and have four games on Sunday. So they only have two games on Sunday. So here he is telling me that you're going to get Four of the five games are being pitched by Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen. And then he says, Gabby not going into concussion protocol. Then the next text says, now what's your take? (laughs) I was going to save it for the rest of the week, but I thought, all right then. If all that's true, if all that's true. Sons and four. <laughs> and no, I don't want to be punching anybody in the face. I, I think the Diamondbacks win in four games. I do. With that, with that, with that text and that information, if it comes true, I, I do. I think that the Dodgers are a better team, but I don't think the gap is as huge as it used to be. It is in the regular season, but this isn't the same battle-tested Dodger team that's been destroying the Diamondbacks for a long time now. They still got Mookie Betts. They still got Freddie Freeman. They still got a lot of players that I would say, can we have that guy? Okay, no doubt about it. And I, again, I repeat, I think they're better than the Diamondbacks. But I, I, I think game one is everything. I do. Game one on Saturday to me is everything. And here's why. The Diamondbacks cannot, in my opinion, win four out of the next five. They can't. Or I should say three out of the next five. Remind me if I try that again. Scratch all that from the logger. The Diamondbacks could not win three out of four like that, okay, with that kind of pressure. You win game one, I totally believe they can win two out of the next four. I like that. If they lose game one, I don't like them sweeping the next three in a row, winning game two in L.A. and winning game three and four in Chase Field and then moving on which means you'd have to go to a game five if the Diamondbacks ever win past game one. And if they have to go to a game five, are you really picking the Diamondbacks in Dodger Stadium on game five? No way. And remember, it's not a seven-game series. It's a best of five in the next round. So they got to win game one. But do I think they can win game one? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And once they win game one, I now feel like, hey, we can win two of the next four. So I'm going to say Suns. Suns. I, I meant to say Suns and four the first time because of the phrase against Denver, but I don't mean it the second time. Diamondbacks in four. Tori Lovello, how, what do you, how do you see the Dodgers series shaping up? 
we know the Dodgers very well, um, and it's going to be a great challenge. But I know this team is connected, and I feel like this team is very dangerous when they are connected. Um, I believe in them. They believe in themselves, which is the most important thing. So we're going to take it one game at a time. Um, we respect every opponent, and you know, we, we know the ins and outs of their lineup. We know the ins and outs of, of, of their, their changes, their coaching staff, the stadium. We know it all. So we're going to walk into uh, a pretty pretty big environment once again, and we'll see how these young players step up. And I believe they're going to get the job done. That's strong, but it's cliche-ish. We'll see what they do. It's all on Merrill Kelly. To me, it's all about game one. Um, I still want to get the football, but we've got – I just love Zach Allen, and I love the the situation that was stated by Tori Lovello when he went with um, that fra- that talk from Gallon when he said Zach walked up to him down 2-0, end of the first inning, and said, hey, you, you, you give me the pitch count. I'm getting you seven shutout innings. From this point forward, six more shutout innings. Don't mess with me. So after we heard that story from Tori Lovello in the media, the media then, as soon as Zach Gallon's presser started, were like, hey, fill us in on that conversation you had with Tori after the end of the first inning when you're now down 2 nothing." Yeah, I came in after the first, and I was like, if you give me 110, I'll, I'll get you seven. Um, I lied. I only gave him six. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they did a good job running the pitch count out, and I knew going into this game that, you know, we used a lot of the bullpen last night. So, you know, if I if I didn't go deep, it was going to put us in a hole for, you know, potentially tomorrow. Um, so I just really just tried to stay in attack mode um, and just tried to make pitches. I mean, unfortunately, I was letting the leadoff batter on a lot of those innings. Um but just tried to make pitches when I had to um, and just, you know, keep us in it, you know, keep, keep the offense in and give us a chance to win the game. I, I love that because he's laughing at himself. Hey, I lied. I didn't give him seven, but showing that confidence to have that conversation with Tori and then do me a favor, Jeff, we production, skip gallon two and give me gallon three because gallon two was about the young guys. And Hey, we've already talked about a great job. Young guys. But then he was asked again to kind of tell more about that communication. Where is that relationship with you and Tori? And in a sense, why should he believe you? Why, why, why should you be able to say, hey, I'm still going seven innings and nobody else is scoring? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that kind of is just a credit to Tori and I having trust in each other, um, you know, throughout the, the season and even the last couple of years of, of times where I got to be honest with him and be like, hey, I, I'm, I'm running out of gas here. Um, but also at the same time, when I tell him, like, I got it, you know, stay out of my way, like, he, you know, tends to kind of take that and, you know, he's okay with it. So I think <clears throat> that was kind of my thought when I told him, like, um, I'll, I'll get you seven. Um, so, yeah, just it's just kind of – it's just having a good relationship with Tori, really, for sure. I think is what it boils down to. The this is so important. You got to earn that. But I think what's important is when you do that, the way you build up a trust in each other. That now you're going to stick with a guy longer. That's important. But if you're Zach Allen, the way you you know you only have it if you are honest. I don't have it today. I mean, it's really hard. Think about this. I'm not a quitter. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you got to look at another man and say, I don't have it today. Like, it's a relationship. It's, it's probably the one relationship none of us, unless you've been there, can truly relate to. 
imagine telling your boss, hey, I just, I just don't have it today. Time to take me out. <laughs> I mean, there's three hours left in the workday. You want your eight-hour pay. But then you just, it's just, things just aren't firing today. I just don't have a grip on things. I, you know, you, you got you to gotta bring somebody in for me. And then you just walk off the job. And then you expect your job tomorrow, okay? That's, that's what you're being, that's being honest in this relationship. When the manager comes out or the pitching coach comes out, you've got to be able to say, I'm ready, I'm ready. You come off the, after you give up a bunch of hits, a couple runs, hey, skip, I'm good. There's no issues here, all right? I'm firing, I'm going seven. And you expect to be listened to. And yet, you got to be honest when they come up to you in the third inning. Hey, what's, what's, I, I don't know. I'm just, things just aren't firing. Things just aren't there today. Everybody else will call you a quitter for it, but you are developing a relationship with your manager. You better do it after a couple good outings, though. Don't, don't, don't say, I just don't have it today. Rook, this is your first ever start. You know, you got to, you got to make sure you, you know when to show that side. Um, Give me Zach uh, Gallon 4, if you could. Give me Gallon 4, because I like this acknowledgement. I told you the stat a little bit ago. Nine and a third innings for this team from the bullpen. No earned runs against a team that supposedly they had the bullpen edge. And the Diamondbacks' bullpen dominated. Six and a third shutout innings on Tuesday. Three shutout innings following the six innings from Zach Gallon yesterday. Zach, what would you think of the pen? I think the bullpen's been our MVP, honestly, the last month or so. Um, and I, I think it's it's a the part of our team that's kept us in a lot of games. Um, and, I mean, it's 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 not a, like a secret that they had their struggles in the middle of the year. Um, and, you know, that the bullpen, when you watch these teams, you know, that go deep in the postseason, the, the bullpen is usually the one that kind of prevails a lot. And that's, you know, that's what keeps you in games. So it's been awesome to watch. Um, we've had guys like – you know, Paul Seawald and, you know, we had Ryan Thompson and then you get a rookie like Sal Frank comes up and Ginkle's coming into his own. And then everyone just kind of falling into place and doing their job. Um, I think it's been awesome to watch. Um, it's been awesome as a starter knowing like, all right, just get through six, seven, eight, nine is, is going to be locked down. Um, and then, you know, sure enough tonight they did their job again. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. It's kind of funny. Do you remember me ripping Cliff Kingsbury? Well, for a lot of things, but for the banging on the table all the time right next to the microphone, then there's Zach, keeps beating the microphone. Uh, That's the MVP. And you can tell it's been weighing on the starting pitching. Did you hear the middle of that that sentence there where Zach Allen said, it's no secret the struggles they had in the middle of the year? That – there's nothing wrong with this, but it shows you how much it was weighing on the team when it's so easy to pick that out because they were atrocious. And that was one of the other reasons, back to admitting where I was wrong, why I stopped believing in the 2023 Diamondbacks. The bullpen was crap. The defense was crap. The baseball IQ was crap. And you're trying to tell me believe in these guys? No way. No way. Yet now you see how well it's working, and the bullpen has been fantastic. And it's a couple of the two; it's the two new additions of Seawald and and Thompson. Then it's Sal Frank coming out of nowhere, and then Ginkle becoming this new version. And now that's four guys, and that's why I'm actually positive about facing the Dodgers because it's going to be all about bullpen. 
all about bullpen against the Dodgers because that lineup is too tough. All right, last one from Zach is uh, Zach Six, if you could. Uh, Gallon Six, Jeff Weir Production. Because, again, I just said positively about beating the Dodgers and my – opinion win game one you win the series whoever wins game one wins the series Zach what do you think about the Dodgers yeah I I, I don't think it's any secret that the Dodgers for sure had the division's number had our number um I think that we've also showed a growth in this sense of the, the mindset and the culture change here of, of being able to go into you know, Dodger stadium and, and, you know, hang with them. Um, I think it's, it's in our favor that we're going into a familiar place. You know, we play on, you know, six, seven games there a year. Um, it's an opponent we're familiar with. So it's going to be a good test for sure. But I mean, I, I, you know, everybody in that that locker room is excited to, to get there and, you know, see what we're made of. Young teams handle pressure very well, just fine. If they're familiar with it. The Milwaukee crowd doesn't bring a ton of pressure. You're okay. Diamondbacks going to Philadelphia, and that crazy crowd brings a bunch of pressure. Don't ask me about my opinion if it becomes Diamondbacks Braves or Diamondbacks Phillies. I don't like the matchup in the NLCS. Okay, I don't. And the Braves fans, sorry, Jeff Weir Production, they're not good enough to worry about. Okay, it's not a big deal. But that team is unbelievable, okay? Who cares about the fans? That, that team is crazy good. So that brings a pressure that the players aren't used to. Playing against you, the we crowd. We just don't climb street poles and stuff yeah. enough. Yeah, it's, 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 your, it's your wine and cheese. Ever since you moved to the suburbs, it's this wine and cheese crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we could argue all day long. I'm not even getting into the political argument of whether the tomahawk chop is unbelievably insensitive or whether it's get over and it's just a Yahoo throwing his hand back and forth. Okay, whatever you think about it, I'm not getting into that argument. But – it is funny to me because in the old days of the Braves, everybody was in on it. For those of you who don't know, they never used to do that until Deion Sanders got there. And with Deion Sanders being from Florida State, they started playing it because the Florida State Seminoles do the, to- the chop. And then it became the tomahawk chop for the Braves. So it wasn't called that before. But then, before the days of insensitivity, it was like, oh, oh and, and Jane Fox. Honda's out there thinking she's going to chop your head off, okay? And uh, everybody was in it. It, was, it actually got loud at, uh, at uh, a little bit of Fulton County, but mostly at Turner Field. It got loud. Now that they're in the suburbs with the wine and cheese crowd, you can tell there's people that are like, I don't think we should be doing this, but I like it. So, oh, and it's just, it's not the same. It's not. And then they don't want to put their glass of wine down in order to uh, do it. I'm going to spill my wine. Oh, no. And there's 20,000 less people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the fans don't get you there. Ronald Acuna gets you, okay? That's the problem. That team is so good. And then the Philly fan, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to lose or you're going to die. Okay, that's it. There's, There's no in between. You could lose a reliever. All right, either mentally or he just loses his brain in a, in a beheading. The Philly fans are just nuts. So that's kind of like real life scary, a rock the bus kind of thing. So I'm not looking forward. I'm looking forward to it, but I, I don't have a great feeling about the NLCS. Dodger fans, I never knew this until I went to Dodger Stadium. 
the Dodger fans that come to Chase Field, if it's you, you're in the Unplugged Army, but you're a Dodger fan that goes to Chase Field, I'm not, maybe it's not your fault, but I'm amazed at the baseball ignorance of the Dodger fan at Chase Field. Just buffoons. Like, they have no idea what's going on. As soon as the ball is hit by a Dodger, oh, ah, 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 and it's a pop-up to second. Okay? Like, hey, buddy, did you, have you ever been to a game? Do you know what the sound of the bat sounds like? The guy broke his bat. It's a little flare to the second baseman. Ah, ah, oh, I thought it was going to be in the pool. It just didn't get out of the infield. I mean, it's just they have no idea what's going on. Then I went to a game at Dodger Stadium. Oh, my gosh. The baseball IQ of the fans at Dodger Stadium are fantastic. Fantastic. And, and I went, okay, there's something different going on here. Something different. And because of that, they're not that intimidating as a huge crowd. They can be late in the game, but you're okay because the first two innings, people aren't in their seats yet. So you can try to get a lead. You can, you, you'll be okay. Now, you got to face Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman twice in two or three innings. That's a problem. The team is good and a problem, but the environment isn't a problem. So I, I'm okay. I'm okay with beating the Dodgers. All right, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I still got ASU, I got Colorado, I got Cardinals, and I got three uh, commercial breaks, if you care about me telling you that, that I, I need to get to. And I want to get to Steve McCollum, and I, I feel good about versus Vegas. We got a lot going on here. We got a lot going on here. Number one, hats off, D-backs. The Patrick Cantley hat wave to you. Congratulations. Jacked up for you against the Dodgers starting on Saturday. Tons of coverage coming up next week of D-backs Dodgers. Right now, though, we actually have to talk, and trust me on this, Colorado Buffaloes football because there's breaking news from Deion Sanders about ASU. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker and Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time and they've gotten it right the first time every time and they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast and you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game.
I got a couple things before I jump into um, Colorado and ASU that just popped up. One thing popped into my head is I haven't talked about it yet. Just 20 seconds on it, if you don't mind. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. If you're a member of the Unplugged Army, especially if you live in central Phoenix, wow, Jeff Weir production. If you're listening to the podcast right now, Jeff Weir production, boom, already had it up. If you live in central Phoenix or the east side, you have to do this. I mean, if you play golf, it's so worth it. And if you're on the west side, I still think it's worth it. Because the savings are so huge. And that is, when you go to the website, it'll have a pamphlet up to tell you about the new Whirlwind Plus program, in which you become an actual member of Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. And think about that. If you're anything like me, you never thought in a million years you'd ever be a member of a golf club. I get that. And yet, you're never going to have dues, like $34 a month, anywhere. And then if you're saying, that's still kind of expensive for my budget, but I understand if you're if it's too expensive for you to golf, then obviously this isn't for you. And I want to be very sympathetic to you if that's where you are in life. But I believe in you. So stay focused. You're going to get out of whatever situation you're in if you keep working hard. Okay, it's the greatest country in the world. Believe in yourself. You can do this. But if you are in a position where you can afford that, I guarantee you, you're going to save a ton of money and play a legendary course by going to unplugged at whirlwind.com. Click on sign up today, and then it'll open up to a web page that then you answer the two questions. Do you want $34 a month, which equals a little over $400, or, but then you, that's if you go for a year, but you can do $34 a month and then cut it off at about six months, three months, whatever it is for you, or pay for the year and it's $300, officially $299, boom, one check, you're in, you're out. You get the lowest rate that day when you set your tea time, no matter what time your tea time is. And you get 15% off Civlic and 15% off the Pro Shop. And if you're anything like me in the beer that you drink, boom, 15 Are you kidding me? 15% off? And in, the, in the, and in the great time to golf, you might save like 80, 90 bucks on, on a tee time. You get savings like that, 80 or $90, you play three times in one month, you've already paid for the year's worth of savings, let alone when you go to lunch. I, know I, I lasted longer than 20 seconds, but that was important to me. Uh, number two thing to know. When I started talking Diamondbacks this morning, baseball wasn't smart enough to know we should probably set the game times. Uh, they finally did. So if you care on Saturday, the game times are set. And if you want to pay attention to D-backs, Dodgers, or, or head to, a, head to a Rosati's to watch the game or whatever you want to do, game time is at 620 in L.A. Saturday night. So Texas-Baltimore first pitch, 10 in the morning. AL goes first, Minnesota at Houston, 145. That huge Phillies-Atlanta series, that starts at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, first pitch. And then Diamondbacks-Dodgers, perfect prime time for us at 620 to let you know that on Saturday. And then keep in mind, Diamondbacks, the National League teams don't play on Sunday. They come back and play Monday. Uh, Let's get to... uh, Everything ASU-wise and Colorado-wise, because I find this... Oh, no. I, I Shoot. I'm sorry, Jeff, for your production. I, since I teased ASU, let's do that, even though my outline is wrong, because I meant to talk Suns here. But let's do ASU, and we'll go in the order of how I have ASU and Colorado. 
I had a chance to watch the Deion Sanders press conference. So Deion spoke two days ago, Kenny Dillingham yesterday after practice. Let's start with how funny it is for Dion. They start off like a house of fire and they're a national phenomenon. And supposedly their press conferences were just packed. National writers not being able to get a seat. Well, he walks in and the camera angle doesn't show it. But Dion walks in. And the room is about half full now after being almost standing room only. So listen to how he reacts now that prime time isn't prime. It's a thin thin line. It's a thin line between love and hate. It's a thin line. Let me see. I could count. One, two, three. This is the first weekend I could count. <laughs> I appreciate all of you tremendously for your love, your support, your consistency. Now, let's go. How about that? He's even going to use that for motivation, taking on ASU. Oh, look, everybody's and nobody believes in you anymore. Look at these press conferences. I mean, Dion Prime could motivate an ant, okay? I mean, this guy, and I don't mean, I mean, A-U-N-T, okay? One of your aunts. I mean, he's great. I, was, I thought that was funnier than it really was. Like, when, when I was formulating that joke, I thought, oh, this is going to be funny. And then when I said it, it wasn't very funny. So, Dion is already counting up again, making a list of, of the haters, and in his mind, media members that aren't there anymore. So he speaks for about five minutes. A lot of it's just discussion about plays. A lot of it's discussion on kids, blah, 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 nothing thrilling. And then I like this question. Just simply asked, hey, you came in at the same time Kenny Dillingham did. Uh, What do you like about what Kenny Dillingham is doing and building his program while you're building yours? And Prime dropped a nugget that none of us expected. Uh, just curious if you have any history with uh, Coach Dillingham and just your thoughts yeah, on ASU. Yeah, I got great history. Um, I don't know if he want me to tell this story, but I was assembling uh, a staff once upon a time. I'm not going to tell you who, for what, but he was a part of it. And we communicated quite a bit. And I was happy with every step that he's taken because I know he's that guy. I know he's been more than capable. So when I saw him get this opportunity, I was ecstatic. You know, then we saw him at the, I think the, saw one another at the Pac-12 meetings. And that was like, yeah, that embrace was, was, was awesome to me because I know his climb and I know what kind of man he is. And, uh, he is great for that program. He's great for college football. He is a tremendous mind, uh, offensively, tr- tremendous mind, but he's a, he's going to be a great head coach, man. So I have the utmost respect and love and admiration for him because we were going to work together at one point. Listen, I've been doing a job similar to this for 30 years. I get used to the typical cliches that the other team's coach is is a great coach before you play them. Okay, we've heard that millions of times in the in the press conferences leading up to a weekend opponent. That one was real. That was prime saying, look, I wanted to work with him. And it's also really interesting because he said it was for another job. So, therefore, it's not – he's only had two head coaching jobs. So, it couldn't have been for his Jackson State job at an HBCU. And it's more than likely not for Colorado 
because he says another job. That means Prime at some point was talking to another Division I program. And the reason why I'm making that assumption is why would Kenny Dillingham have left? He's on a trajectory of only offensive coordinator positions at Division I schools. So why would he have gone somewhere else unless he was going to be Prime's, Coach Prime's offensive coordinator at a Division I school? And we don't know who was talking to Dion. We have no idea what school was talking to Dion and either chose not to hire him or didn't pay him enough to get him to leave. But I thought that was, that's a fascinating little piece of information. So that was two days ago. So yesterday, near the end of Kenny Dillingham's press conference, the media said, hey, Coach Prime mentioned in his presser he tried to hire you. What can you tell us about that story? media the other day. Uh, I recruited Shador. He's a phenomenal player, and one of the things I learned in that process was when I recruited Shador, I recruited Shador. I didn't recruit at that time uh, Deion Sanders. Uh, he let me recruit his son, and uh, that, I respected that a lot, the fact that you have this guy who's accomplished everything you can accomplish in football, and he didn't make the process in his son's recruitment about him. So I gave a lot of respect to him to kind of get out of the way. And yes, did he play the father figure in the process and ask the father figure questions? He did, but he let his son go through his process. And I gave, you know, I have a lot of respect for that uh, just with him. And everybody says, oh, Deion Sanders now coach prime. And, you know, it's all about him. It's all about him. But I got to see a side of that where he said, no, it's not. This is about his son's process, and uh, that's why I have a lot of respect for him. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job, Coach Brian has as a program. Uh, they're building something there, and uh, he's going to do a great job there, and he already is. Yes, if you're wondering, that quote came at the exact minute where all of our phones went off for the emergency alert system test. If you get a chance today, and yes, I'm throwing you out of the bus, Izzy. If you get a chance today and you haven't done it, make sure you go on to our on-demand page and watch Izzy on Sports from yesterday because Izzy didn't turn his phone off and right in the middle of his show, his phone starts going off and he's, he's trying to act like nothing's going on. He lasts about four seconds acting like there's nothing to see here. There's nothing going on in the background. And then he just... What's going on? And then you can see almost straight fear in his eyes when that phone went up. Wait, uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Would I have done the exact same thing? Yes. But since you don't know that, I can rip Izzy for it. And then it went off during Kenny's quote. Uh, Okay, so let's go back to uh, um, Coach Prime. This is hilarious to me. I don't know if you find the same humor in this, but a member of the media asked him about ASU and their transgressions with the NCAA. And Dion, and I think he was serious, said, I don't have any idea what's going on. Like, I, what happened? What did they do? And then the guy tries to explain it to Dion, saying, we've got uh, COVID violations, other recruiting violations. So the school then put in a bull ban for this year, taking opportunities away from kids now for penalties that were made years ago. What do you think about that? And I, Coach Prime has a fresh take on the ASU bull ban. My mom used to hand out whoopings, you know, back in the day, right? So if I did something stupid, you know, I was like, Mom, you know what? I don't even want to go to the game tonight. I, I'm, I'm not even going. 
because I know that would lessen the whooping. So if that's what they're doing, I understand (laughs) because I've done that before. Like, Ma, I ain't going to the fair. I'm good. You ain't got to spend no more money on me. I'm straight. Now you come on in and go get that belt. (laughs) So, hey, you just try to get less of a whooping. All right. I know that. Now, I can tell you the way the NCAA works. The bull ban isn't the problem. It's when they chose to do it. If they would have chosen the bull ban last year, that shows institutional control. That shows you're looking at the NCAA. We realize what's going on. Or even the year before that, we realize how, how much we violated these rules. We're going to do it now. When you do it this late, it just is another carrot where you're like oh i didn't think you were that mad so here we'll we'll do this oh i didn't think you were that mad we'll fire this guy oh i didn't think when you do this slow little drip 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 of policing it shows you're just trying to get away with the bare minimum you don't have any idea what you've done it is a complete lack of institutional control with the old ncaa i can stand on the table and guarantee you the old ncaa would have hammered arizona state not a death penalty smu style but it would have been two-year bullpen bullpen complete gutting of the athletic department it would have been massive massive amount of problems for the exact same thing if we're talking about 15 to 20 years ago 15 years ago maybe even 10 years ago but in the new lighter ncaa because of their embarrassing legal losses i don't know what's going to happen to ASU because it's not the same anymore. Uh, let's get back to uh, Kenny Dillingham for a second, in which uh, this is Kenny. Now let's just talk football. Kenny looking at this offense for Colorado and what he sees going up against his defense. Yeah, you got to limit the explosives on defense. They're an explosive offense. I think they have they average like is it six or seven plays? No, eight. Sorry, bad math. Seven or eight plays inside the twenty-five a game. So when you only have seven or eight plays inside twenty-five a game, but they're a good offense, what is that telling you? They're scoring from far. Right? And they do that because two of their top wideouts have only missed thirty snaps in an entire season. So they're playing. They're in shape, and they're playing almost every single snap with their top dudes, and those guys are explosive, and they're making explosive plays. So we got to be able to limit the explosive play on offense or on deep, on deep, versus their offense on defense. And offensively, we've got to sustain drives. We've got to be better on third downs. Yes, would I like to be more explosive? Yes. Will we try to be more explosive? Yes. But sometimes you're, you're not that team. So what do you got to do? You got to be uber efficient. So yes, we're trying to be more explosive. Yes. What we really got to be is way more efficient offensively on third downs. When we get to third and short and medium, we got to a lot of those scenarios last week, third and short to medium, and we didn't convert. And those need to be over 50% conversion rates when you average out third and seven or less. If you're not over 50% in those different distances, uh, you're not going to be a very good offense. This offense uh, under when when Bo Coach Bo was making the play calling was pretty poor. Uh, I don't know if you want to go as far as atrocious, but you could argue that when when you look at third and short. And then since Coach has taken over, Coach Kenny's better, but it's still not good enough as of right now. So I like where he's going. You want to slow down that Colorado offense 
we've got to convert our own third downs on offense because they ain't scoring points on the bench. Pretty good point. All right, last one on this topic. I, I just thought this was so motivational. I wanted you to hear it. And this sounds a lot like Coach Kenny, but this is Deion Sanders. And a member of the media was praising him for how good some of his players are as people. And then he was asked, how do you coach character? How do you make sure the guys are living up to a standard? And you, uh, you try to lead by example with character. Um, you know, many people wore a bracelet years ago. What would Jesus do? Um, even though you don't have it around your wrist, you should have it in your heart. Um, and you got to think of that person that you really look up to the most. What would they do in that situation? Hopefully that's parents or, or uh, grandparents or loved ones. So we we recruit character. We try best to recruit character, but sometimes we miss and then we have to dismiss character and you guys get upset about it and you guys get all flustered about it but you don't understand it's not just talent oftentimes it's character because you got to get those kids out of your locker room where they will poison the whole bunch like I pay attention to everything like when we get our butts kicked on that sideline I wanted to see who wasn't with it who wasn't in it who had already given up who had already shut it down who was ready who was standing up to the challenge? Who was ready to go get it? Who was ready to, 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 to fight? I watch all of that because that tells you more about your team than anything they could do on the field. So I look for those type of intangibles. Great question. I love the strength of that answer. And it reminds me of uh, if you really get to know deep down inside different people, in an organization that's if you've ever wondered how do you develop sources it's just being good to people and then other people talk to you about things and one person was telling me during the herb sendek regime at arizona state herb sendek unbelievable head coach a lot of people don't realize that brilliant mind as a coach the problem was terrible recruiter terrible energy okay you give him a team, man, he can coach him up. Every player will be better than they were when they're coached by Herb Sendak. Problem is, he just not a ton of energy. Not a good enough salesman in a market that needed a salesman. But I was told something about Herb Sendak that I found fascinating. And a lot of coaches do this now, but I don't know how many of them did it before. It was the first time I had ever heard of it. He f- one time flipped out on the video guy. Because the video guy thought he was helping Herb Sendek by cutting out the timeouts. So as soon as somebody calls a timeout, boom, it was cut out. And the camera went to then the next play. And he goes, what are you doing? He wanted the camera trained on the bench. Because when he's talking on the bench, he can't see every player. On the video, he was actually scouting his own bench. He wanted to see who pays attention. He wanted to see the actions of everybody. And he wanted to know so he could judge player engagement during timeouts. So he knew who really was in the situation, who was totally engaged. I thought that was fascinating. And then there's Deion Sanders saying, when we're getting our butts kicked, I'm actually watching everybody to know who really cares about what's going on. I thought that was really strong. All right. 
Coming up next, I don't know how I'm going to do this, <laughs> but I still want to talk Suns. I'm clearly not going to get the Cardinals, but they'll be pushed to the hardcore tailgate tomorrow. We've got a lot of Cardinals on tomorrow's show. It'll be a, almost all Cardinals and a little bit of U of A and a small amount of ASU tomorrow, but a lot of Cardinals. But I still want to talk a little Suns, and then we got Steve McCollum coming up in the main event. It's Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. I just found out Jeff Weir And you production. don't have to announce that. Yes, I do. Of course I do. <laughs> Every day is show prep. I just found out Jeff Weir production clips his own eyelashes. They're long. And when I wear sunglasses, they, they like when I blink, they flip down on my sunglasses and it annoys the piss out of me. <laughs> so I've just got to take care of it. What can I say? I'm a weird guy. Too much, uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you can say. Um, I'm going to be late. So I, I owe a huge apology to uh, Steve McCollum and everybody with the main event. It's just when you find out a friend clips their eyelashes, you start to question your ability to choose friends. I, I th- that's what happens to me. So I was like, oh, wait, what? Okay. Uh, Frank Vogel, let's get into training camp real quick. Uh, Frank, I like this question. You're bringing your culture here. You won a championship with that culture with the Lakers. So... What is your culture? Because here's what's different. The Suns don't really have a culture problem other than losing in the playoffs. So what are you bringing to the table? Yeah, I mean, I think the championship was the result of of what, you know, of the work we put in and the, and the system that we have and the culture that we build uh, with the Lakers. But, you know, I think the the system and the culture uh, is is what we try to bring here. You know, and um, we know that in the, in the right environment with the right talent level and the right pieces fitting, that it can lead to a championship. Um, but there's a there's a strong belief in you know our culture, our culture being defined as the way we do things, um, both you know how we go about our business uh, on and off the court, but you know the the on the on the court culture of our defensive scheme, our offensive system. You know, we try to have uh, as many answers as we can for whatever we're going to encounter. And, um, and we try to tie, tie all the strings together, you know, and, um, you know, hopefully with the talent that we have here, um, putting that type of talent in, in the culture that we know can win a championship will deliver this city its first. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about it was because we can give the, the, the city its first. We've already got one. Go D-backs. And all due respect, of course, to the Mercury and, and, and the uh, Rattlers. Um, one more. Skip the Nurkic, if you could. So I was going to do Vogel 3. Let's skip that. Let's go to Vogel 2. I love this story, and I want to get to this story. Jim O'Brien is a guy. I know him because he used to be the head coach of the University of Dayton, went to the Celtics, was an assistant head co- assistant there, and then a head coach for a long time. He was a coach with the Pacers. And then when he was getting fired, Frank Vogel was chosen to be the replacement and the interim head coach. And this is hilarious. How lucky are you if you ever, if you find out your boss is fired and you compliment your boss on his firing without knowing one important fact? What's that fact? Here's the story. Yeah, physicality. He's, he's one of the guys on our team that, you know, uh, should most nights. Uh, 
I took. I, I don't know if I got the numbers wrong. I could have easily butchered the numbers. <laughs> that might be my fault. That was Vogel two. Okay. Yes. Yeah, skip. Well, then I just screwed up. Uh, play Vogel three. <laughs> incredibly unselfish you know a lot of a lot of people can you know get get in their feelings you know if, if they know there's going to be a coaching change and you know he understood you know that um you know there was a possibility that year and, and really set the stage uh with larry bird for me to be a guy that he should really consider uh to take over if there was a coaching change if, if one was needed and it reached that point and you know i even remember getting the call from Larry and, and telling Larry adamantly that he's making a mistake, that Obi's going to turn it around. Like, just give us more time. You know, I, I don't want to be the coach. I think Obi should be the coach. And before Larry could say a word, Jim O'Brien jumps in and says, Frank, it's me. I'm on the call too. I'm in here with Larry. And this is the right thing for this team. And you should stop talking and accept the job. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, uh, I'll always be grateful for Obi. Man, is that – I mean, think about that. Your boss calls you to tell you I'm promoting you. And you say, you shouldn't promote me. The other guy is doing a good job. And that guy's on the phone. Hey, I'm taking this firing. It's the right move. Imagine if that would have went the other way. If that goes the other way, oh, my goodness. Hey, we're promoting you. Well, it's about time because the boss sucked. You know, if you would have trusted me a long time ago instead of keeping that Yahoo as long as you did, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Hey, Doug, uh, I'm on the call. Um, I just wanted to say I was I was recommending you to replace me. I think it is the right time for me, but uh, never mind. <laughs> All right, I've totally butchered Steve McCollum time on Doug Franz Unplugged today. So we're going to get to Steve in just a second. And, uh, and, 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 and Steve, please go get a beer out of the beer that I brought because I owe you a beer for being this late. Steve McCollum and the main event at Versus Vegas coming up next on Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. I, uh, every weekday morning at 7.40 when Doug's paying attention or at 7.45 when Doug tries to do too many things. I don't know why I'm referring to myself in third person. We are joined by Steve McCollum of the main event. The main event coming up 8 to 10 today with Dale Hellestray as well. And uh, Steve, what did, uh, how do you feel about the, the Diamondbacks? Because I'm trying to just focus on I predicted a game two victory. Yeah. Even, even though I 
predicted a game one and three loss. <laughs> hey, hey, sometimes you're wrong, right? Yeah, well, you I got to look I, at it and say I'm right on, yeah. on one thing if I just ignore what I'm wrong. Yeah, well, it's even worse. I predicted the Diamondbacks would win on Monday. I changed my mind on Tuesday, went officially with the with the Brewers, and then yesterday I was like, ah, they're just going to win the series. So, I, I mean, with that, I get it. I get your I get their conflictions here. So Well, I predicted Milwaukee in two, so I, I was just completely yeah, good. Yeah, 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 thank God we have a bigger idiot than us around here, huh, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> very, very well said. And then to, to be mocked, as we had, uh, uh, was on uh, Tuesday, I think, we had my version of Sweet yeah. Lou from uh, from Whirlwind Golf Club, and he said, no, Diamondbacks in a sweep. And I'm thinking, Homer, whatever, buddy, whatever. And then he nailed it and yeah. had good reasons. Man, I think well, out of everything, I'm shocked that the Diamondbacks' bullpen was better than the Brewers' bullpen. Well, absolutely. It's uh, Look, the bullpen's what won the series. I mean, you can, you can there's a ton of things you can go, but the bullpen was the key in this series 100% and it's what got him to advance uh, you know and I mean let's face it Milwaukee has some hitters you know there's yep. no doubt about it but uh, they're not a Dodger level hitters no no the Dodgers I, are you with me winner of game one wins the series Diamondbacks Dodgers uh Sure, said the Dodgers are going to win game one. Why not? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful with Merrill Kelly, but obviously. Yeah, I mean, you got the, a shot with Merrill Kelly. Now, right. you know, he has to go seven innings. He has to keep the Dodgers at two, three runs, right. maybe four runs type of a situation. The interesting thing is Diamondbacks have a shot in game one. Dodgers have been sitting for a while. I don't care what I you totally say. I totally believe that. Yeah, I don't care what you say. Sure, they've been in the batting cages. Sure, the pitchers have been pitching off the mound. It's different going into this, so. Diamondbacks have been in playoff mode for a week and a half, even though they backed in. Uh, you know, it, this this rest could wreak havoc, at least in game one. So they have a legitimate shot at game one uh, with their pitching set up the way it is. And you're going to be able to get both guys if you can stretch this out, Kelly and um, – uh, of course, now I just screwed up. Uh, Gallon, you know, mm-hmm. can go twice in this series if he can stretch this out. Uh, you know, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. It is an uphill battle, though. Yeah, and especially Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen have been good this year, but yeah. they haven't been their legendary selves. All right, let's plug two things here. Um, number one, plug twelve thirty. What's coming up on the pit stop? Uh, the today? pit stop today, man. Uh, Indu. Second uh, round of 12 here coming up. Uh, You know, a big race coming up this weekend, of course. We look back at Talladega. They released a schedule for next year uh, yesterday, which, of course, becomes all sorts of controversy. What city they're going to be in when. So we have all that coming up at 1230 today. Pit stop. Okay. And then the main event. What are you guys focusing Uh, on today? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my my partner over here walked in and he says, "Man, it's going to be great. The uh, you know uh, Diamondbacks are going to win a World Series this year. Uh, he's wow. all on board. He's saying the Suns are going to win a championship. Wow. He said Cardinals are a year away. Wow, what? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dale's been drinking your beer. <laughs> well, I hey, I owe you one for being late. So first of all, it's time for." predictions you want to give on versus Vegas the floor is yours since I was late well there's no baseball today so right. uh, and I haven't looked at that what is there's nothing else going on tonight well there's good seats still available if you would like to go to Washington Bears yeah no I no, I like I said there is nothing on tonight folks oh yeah this yeah. is the night you look if you're a dude this is the night where you take your wife out 
you, you know, you never do it during football, so you do the honeydew list a little bit more tonight. You pay a little bit closer attention to the family, you know, uh, because you're going to, you're into like 50 days of football uh, every day of the week now for the next 50 days or something. So this is the night uh, you ignore this Thursday night football game and you, you, you make it to where your wife forgets that you've ignored her for the last month. Yeah, uh, speaking of the honeydew list, uh, last week there was a ladder and an air conditioning filter sitting up in where what we call daddy's room, which is where I do a lot of my work. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I come up there the other day, and Jennifer's on the ladder. Yeah, I was going to say, good job, Doug. Just leaving it sit there. Yeah. So, was, it but, was left there as a hint. Yeah, it was, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it. So now the honeydew list is, hey, could you at least take the ladder back? Because the ladder's been laying there for a hey, week. if you leave it there, uh, you know, for see how long month? it takes for her to take it down. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's bad, because the ladder doubles her in size. All right, thank you, Steve. Have a good show. <laughs> Steve McCullough, main event coming up. Listen to today, and I'm serious. Programming here on um, on WTSMTV.com. Six straight hours of local programming with the main event coming up next for two hours and then Izzy on Sports coming up from 10 to noon. And then we got a little break, so if you want to eat lunch at 12, great. But 12.30, stay with us because it's the only locally produced weekly NASCAR show with Steve McCollum and Jason Carter on on the pit stop. That's coming up today at 12.30 and every Thursday at 12.30. And if you're at, listen, I'm not good at NASCAR. I would be the biggest doofus on that show ever. I'm like, the brilliance I am right here. But what's fantastic is if you're, let's say you're a casual NASCAR fan, our ratings numbers, there's a lot of people really enjoying the Pit Stop show. It's doing really well. So if you haven't found a good NASCAR show, don't forget to become a Plus member and watch it live Thursdays at 1230. And if you're not quite there, make sure you watch it on demand, especially before the races. Use it as your, your own personal pregame on the weekend to get ready for that weekend's uh, cup race. All right. I, I couldn't believe yesterday. If you didn't pay attention to my versus Vegas yesterday and my predictions, I came in with uh, on a 3-0 and run, and I had a bunch of 2-1s last week. So other than a below-average weekend, I was doing well going in. Now, I still won you money yesterday. I went 2-0-1, okay? So I didn't lose. But the game that I had a tie, oh, you got to be kidding. All right, here we go. I told you to take the Diamondbacks on the money line. They're beating Milwaukee. And that was a big pick because Milwaukee was favored. I could have taken the Diamondbacks on the uh, with the run line of the plus one and a half. I didn't. I took the positive juice, and we crushed it. Diamondbacks win five to two. I told you to take Philly on the money line. A below average pick that worked. Not great juice, but I should have taken them to cover. Phillies crushed the Marlins 7-1. So that worked out for us. So we're 2-0. Here's the other game. I said Texas, Tampa Bay, take the under. That's going to be under eight runs, okay? There was no hook on that game. Under eight runs. Rangers jump out to a 7-0 lead. Come on. Come on. Stay right there. Stay right there. Two outs. Bottom of the seventh. Tampa Bay scores. Nobody scores again. Now, there's 
You guys are down seven to nothing. You're out. Just quit. Just quit. Why? Why? Would I have ripped you if you quit? Yes. Except this one time when I got the under. So I get no credit on that game. I go 2-0-1 yesterday. We end up at 999 and 913 right now with five draws uh, officially on my uh, pick list, but still below the 53% threshold. But you have made money.